You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So just a quick review uh, while the guys are finishing up there. Just a quick review of what Tony talked about last week. Um, He concluded it with the FFA, the farmer's analogy, if you will, the acronym there that he was involved with as a kid, as I'm sure many of you are familiar with or have been involved with. And, and he suggested that us being good stewards as a body, that we should be forgiving, we should be forgiving of each other, uh, that we should be faithful, that we should be f- faithful to God, faithful to each other, faithful in serving, and that we should be attentive. So being aware of opportunities where we can be good stewards of the gifts God gives us, whether it's our time, whether it's our resources, whether it's the skills that he's given us, whether it's the spiritual gifts that he's given us. And then he did, of course, a, a multiple series of three words. And for those of you who have known Tony any amount of time, he will often do this to you, especially if you're a young person. And he'll, he'll say three words, three words, especially to the youth. In fact, I've, been known, I've known him to be driving down the road and he'll see somebody and he'll wave at them with three fingers like this. And it's make wise choices <laughs> is what is most prominent one. But he gave us a series of three words and uh, I'm not going to repeat them all this morning, but in typical Tony fashion, it was, it was uh, insightful, wise, and refreshing. So I appreciate him filling in last week and doing that. So, so today we're going to begin a series. It'll be about five or six weeks uh, total. And um, I've already kind of given it away in past weeks what it's going to be on. It's going to be on Psalm 23. Uh, and this painting is going to grow as we go through our series. So uh, we've got it started for kind of each verse that we walk through Psalms 23 uh, this will expand, and we have another uh, canvas the same size that will end up over here. And so this will just grow just to kind of give us that visual. And so my heart, my desire is when we're done, the painting will be completed, and we'll get to hang it up here in the church. And uh, it will be a reminder for those of us, uh, as we see this painting, the meaning of Psalms 23, and that God is our shepherd. And, uh, and hopefully it will be... Uh, Hopefully be impactful in multiple ways, not just through audible, through words, uh, through what we read in the scriptures, but also visually as well. So that's my hope in this. Now, I do want to offer a caution uh, to all of us this morning, especially if you've read this psalm, you've memorized it, uh, it's familiar to you. Uh, our tendency as humans is that when we come across a familiar passage of scripture is to go, I've, I know that one. And you move on, you check out. Okay? That's our tendency. Uh, and, and really, it's kind of like us taking our freedom for granted, right? Here in the U.S. We celebrated our country's birthday this last week. And many of us on a daily basis take that for granted, the freedoms that we have. And it, and it isn't until we start tuning into the rest of the world and what's going on around us that we start realizing we do have it pretty good here. Even if stuff isn't ideal, 
in some circumstances and situations. We still can do this right here this morning without the worry of armored jeeps pulling up outside and people coming in with machine guns and telling us to load up or go into jail or deny Christ or die. We don't have that fear here this morning, whereas many places in the world, they do if they met in public like this. And so while we can take our freedom for granted in that way, even more tragically is when we take Scripture for granted and we breeze over something that seems familiar to us, but we forget. We forget that the Word of God are His words. And that we should never breeze over them. We forget that the word of God is living and active, as it says in Hebrews 4.12. That means that every time we pick this up, if we are in the proper posture in our hearts and in our minds, when we pick this up and read it, whether we have memorized that verse and we've known it since we were two, or we are reading it for the first time in that moment, that if we are surrendered and open to God speaking to us, it will. And there will be something new to glean from it in that moment. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many times you've read it. The Word of God is living and active. So this morning, I want to start off Psalms 23 with you, uh, with the title of our message being, Who is Your Shepherd? Who is your shepherd? And so, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles there, if you're not, or your devices, and I think it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but would you stand, if you're willing and able, as we read through this short chapter in the Bible? Psalm 23. Uh, I believe what on the screen will be the Christian Standard Bible version. So this version is going to be a little bit different than how I memorized it as a kid. And that's okay. I like the way that this one says it. It's saying the same thing in different wording. And so we're going to look at both as we go through this series. Don't worry, I'm not going to be neglectful of the English Standard Version or even maybe even the King James. We might even jump into some of that. Uh, I'll be diligent in explaining the these and thous and all of those things if we do. But... Uh, I just like how sometimes a different perspective on the same words can bring additional meaning. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're going to peel back some of the layers of just verse 1. Just verse 1 this morning. And believe it or not, we could actually spend two or three weeks in just verse 1 and still not cover all of it. I won't do that to you, but it's possible. 
In fact, I believe we could probably spend the rest of our lives in just grasping verse 1. But, again, I won't do that to us. Our attention spans couldn't handle it. So verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Or many other versions, I shall not want. So let's look at this. First part of this verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And how David is who penned this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned this uh, aspect of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So he's describing the Lord as a shepherd. So he's, he's, in this statement, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So he's comparing the Lord to a shepherd. So David is saying, describing the Lord as a shepherd. And then he's also stating that the Lord is his shepherd. This is just in the first half of the verse. Okay, the Lord as a shepherd and the Lord is his shepherd. So let's look at that first and foremost. The Lord as David's shepherd, as our shepherd, those of us who trust and believe in him. Jesus calls himself our shepherd in the New Testament. John 10, verse 11, saying that I am the good shepherd. Now, obviously, the New Testament was written after the Old Testament. But Jesus, going back into the Old Testament analogies where this is referenced in Psalms, it's referenced in Isaiah, it's referenced in multiple other passages, saying that God is like a shepherd or is a shepherd. And Jesus is claiming that in the New Testament as well. I am the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, he is referenced as the great shepherd of the sheep. And the Captain Obvious statement here is, obviously, you can't have a shepherd without sheep, right? You just be a wanderer, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus is our shepherd because we are his sheep, all right? David was a shepherd. He had sheep to tend to of his family. David understood what it meant to be a shepherd, because he did it. This is a guy saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So when he says that, when he says that God is like a shepherd here, Jesus is like a shepherd, he understood it. He was living it out on a daily basis. So did many other men and women in the Old Testament that God used. Moses was a shepherd. He was a foster kid, right? Uh, became a prince, adopted, became a prince of Egypt, got in some trouble, made some bad choices, ran, and then became a shepherd for 40 years before God called him to lead his people out of the nation of Egypt. Not Israel, Egypt. Moses was, Isaac was, Jacob was, Joseph was. Kind of an irony here. Moses went from prince to shepherd Joseph went from shepherd to prince. All of these men had to learn to tend sheep before tending God's people. Shepherding was a prominent part of God's people's history. If you weren't one, you had a family member that was. But most of them were involved in it some way. Additionally, during biblical times, kings were often referred to as shepherds. It would be very common for a king to be referred to as a shepherd of their people or of their country or kingdom or whatever. And so this illustration of 
shepherding sheep, attending sheep, shepherding people, tending people, being a king and shepherding was very impactful. I mean, you could just almost see it flowing through the core of David as he penned this. The Lord is my shepherd. He is like a shepherd. Today, let's explore this even further because our understanding of shepherds today is completely different from what they understood it back then. Uh, So we're going to do a quick mini course here on Shepherding 101, if you will. Um, Because if you have sheep today, uh, Kinslow, Sackers, some other families probably that I'm missing that have raised sheep or have sheep or different things, it looks totally different today than it did back then. Back then, it was considered a very low and menial task. If you were... If you were a family that had multiple sons, the youngest son got it. So back then, in order of importance, the firstborn got the birthright. They had all the say, they got all the inheritance, and they kind of took over when dad either went on to greener pastures in in heaven or, or if he wasn't a believer elsewhere. But the firstborn took over, and the other kids had to kind of fall in line and still stay under that leadership of the firstborn. So the younger son got it. If they only had one son... The daughter was the shepherdess. And so in biblical culture, tragically, ladies were not treated with the respect that they deserved and should have been. And that was something that God, throughout scriptures, we see him try to right that wrong. And even through Jesus into the New Testament, today we're still working on it. But the daughter was the shepherdess if there's only one son. We see that true being with Laban's daughter, which is Jacob's wife, or Laban's daughter was Rachel in Genesis 29. Rachel became Jacob's wife. Jethro's daughters uh, were tending the sheep when Moses came up and met them and helped them out the very first time. This was Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And the interesting thing about this is Jesus came to earth in all humility to basically nobody's. Just the average girl, not even married. And that's how he came to earth. He didn't come in under a kingdom or in a palace. He came to earth in that same way. Something else about shepherds back then is they were expected to be able to survive in the wild on their own. They survived mostly on locusts and honey. Uh, They ate off the land as they went. They would travel through the wilderness with the sheep from one destination to another, often from where they would get the sheep, help them grow and graze because there really wasn't fencing or anything like that. So they're in search of food for the sheep as well as food for themselves until they get to the place that they can either be sheared or they can be butchered for the meat and the cell and those types of things. And so they're expected to survive in the wild. They really did not have a home that they could call their own. I'm feeling that a little bit right now, not to near that extreme. We've, we're in our third state, in our third house in the matter of two weeks in our transition to moving up here. And so we're getting a very, very small taste of it, but yet we're still in homes, we're still in beds. You know, we still have shelter overheads. I'm not using pillow, rocks for pillows or anything like that. So I can't imagine what it would have felt like for them to not really have a place to call home. Jesus also had no place to rest when he was on earth. He had no place that he could call home in Luke 9:58. Shepherds were detestable to many other nations. 
There we see that they were detestable to the Egyptians in Genesis 46, 34. The Egyptians were some of the most advanced people during that time. Uh, this was when Joseph was appealing to Pharaoh to bring his family into the land of Egypt during the famine and so that they could live there. The world hated Jesus and still does. We see that in John fifteen eighteen, When Jesus was on earth, the leaders of that time opposed him. Those he healed and loved on and ministered and taught to yelled crucify him just a few short months later. Shepherds often wore a fleece coat as well, resembling the sheep that they cared for. Symbolic, isn't it? How Christ came and put on flesh. Like what we have. Being a shepherd was a dangerous job. Wild animals were always after them. They wanted to eat too. Sheep were easy prey without the protection of a shepherd. I'm sure you've all heard it said, and maybe you know from real life experience, sheep aren't the smartest and brightest of animals. Um, and then the, the sheep that they were using, they weren't the mountain sheep that they were uh, leading around and, and doing this with. They were the domesticated sheep, the sheep that uh, need protection. They basically need to be told where to go, what to do. And, and we'll see just some more elements of of what the sheep, how much care the shepherd actually had to give the sheep just so that they could survive because they literally could not survive on their own. But being a shepherd was dangerous between the, the animals, the terrain, the weather, bands of thieves and robbers on the trails and stuff in the wilderness. Yet they went out and they did it anyway. Jesus knew his time on earth was not going to be safe and easy. Yet, not his will, but God's, as he prayed the night before going to trial. He came in submission to God for the salvation of his people. Being a shepherd was a lonely job, often weeks on end without seeing another person. In the middle of nowhere, with nothing but sheep surrounding you. I don't think they're very good conversationalists. Jesus' time on earth was also lonely. And while he had the disciples around him, they did not even get it until after he had been crucified and dead and buried and raised. It didn't click. They deserted him when he needed them most at the time of his arrest before the crucifixion. The Lord was David's shepherd. And he understood this without even knowing Jesus and knowing what Jesus' time on earth would be like in the coming years. I learned this in my study for this series that it's believed that Psalm 23 was, was written towards the end of David's life. And you think because of the order of the book that it was probably much sooner. And when he was a, just a young boy, maybe he penned it in a journal or even before he killed Goliath. But it's believed that it was written at the end of his life. And talk about perspective for him. 
as a young boy tending sheep in the wilderness alone, growing up being chased and pursued by Saul after killing Goliath and being anointed as king and Saul blowing it. And I'm, I'm jumbling up the story a little bit, but this him becoming a king as well as a shepherd and to say that the Lord is my shepherd. To say the Lord as a shepherd, as a true shepherd as well as a king and then to say that the Lord is my shepherd. And you can read through the Old Testament in First and Second Samuel and First Kings and First Chronicles about David's life and his history and you see how God met him multiple times in multiple ways, provided for him, went before him, granted him unbelievable mercy in the face of some of David's greatest fails of, of committing adultery, of stealing and taking from a woman, and then killing her husband. And not to mention other times and in other places where he got prideful and counted and created a census when God didn't want him to. And the whole nation suffering because of his sin. David failing as a father. Holy cow. You want to talk about a messed up family. The man after God's own heart had a messed up family. But yet, at the end of his life, for him to still say, the Lord is my shepherd. Should this not give us great comfort this morning and peace? That a man that God would call someone after his own heart is still saying God is my shepherd at the end of it because God faithfully continued to be there, faithfully continued to grant him mercy and love in spite of some of fails that some of us may never have a fail that big. I don't know. But he experienced him through every fear, every doubt, every trial, every sin, every triumph. God's mercy and love was there. David's part was coming back to God when he was confronted with his sin and surrendering back. You see, each one of us here this morning, whether you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have a shepherd in our lives. We have a shepherd. Some of us choose for it to be Jesus Christ as our good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd who tends us, who leads us gently, lovingly, mercifully, who laid down his life for us. And some of us reject that shepherd And we think we know better. Really, we're living and acting and talking like we're our own shepherd. And we've got it figured out. Who is your shepherd this morning? The second part of the verse, I shall not want... I have what I need. Another statement. David's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. 
as his shepherd, comparing him to his shepherd, is his shepherd, has a lifetime of experience, of relationship with Christ, his time alone in the wilderness. What was he doing during that time? Praying? Seeking the Lord? Listening to the Lord? Singing to the Lord with harp and lyre? You see, David had moments in his life where he had everything as a king, as God's servant, and he had nothing living out of a cave on the run with the king trying to kill him. He had everything in moments of triumph with God and in his favor and his blessing. And he had moments of nothing wearing sackcloth and repenting for the sin of adultery and murder and losing his child because of that. And David, at the end of his life, could say, I have what I need. I shall not want, because the Lord is my shepherd. I believe another way that we could say this that David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I am content. The contentment is a restfulness or a quietness of mind from the franticness of wanting and striving for things that aren't needed. It is a peace, it is a rest when we are content. And it's not saying that we shouldn't have goals. It's not saying that it's wrong to not work for things. But at the end of it all, at the base of it all, at the foundation of it all, the Lord is our shepherd. We shouldn't want. The only thing that we should want is our relationship with Christ to increase and that we would decrease, as Paul says in the New Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I am content. I shall not want. Seems like that'd be a good key to stewardship as well, huh? So can we say that with conviction and meaning this morning? Whether you already know Christ, but maybe you're on a path that straying somewhat of him truly being your shepherd. Choices you've made, lies you've grasped onto and believed that aren't from his word. You're kind of going this way and his path is over here doing this. Maybe He's not your shepherd at all and you're tired of trying to figure it out on your own. You're trying to be your own shepherd. And if you're honest and you look at the history of your life, you can see that you being your own shepherd isn't going to work out. You know, if you can anticipate the trajectory of where you're going, is that really where you want to be? Is that really where you want to go? At the end of it all, pursuing things, pursuing career, pursuing pleasure, 
Where has that landed anybody? But in pain and in alone. And, we don't, and I don't often do this. We don't often do this here. But this morning, I want to offer a prayer just as a guide. Just as a guide for those who may not know him as your shepherd, as your good shepherd. And for those who know him, while I'm praying this, would you, would you do some business with God as well? And maybe you think things are all right. Fantastic. Praise God. Lay that crown back at his feet. So I don't know about you, but when I think I'm all right, that's when my head starts expanding. <laughs> and next thing I know, I'm in this other category where I'm off path. So maybe this morning your prayer should be, Lord, I give this back to you. It appears that things are going well. I'm in a season of rest. I'm in a season of blessing. That is from you. Thank you. As you are a good, good father and all good things are from you, I give it back. How do you want me to use this as your steward? If you're out of sorts, out of sync, feeling like he's not around right now, wondering where he is, is it him or is it us? You see, he's always the good shepherd. He is always there. It's the sheep that wander off. It's not him. He's not like, oh, good, they're not looking. <laughs> no. It's the sheep that wander off. Forgive me, but we're the idiots. <laughs> What are you not doing that's having you disconnected? When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you opened up his word and said, Lord, speak to me through it? I need this. I need you like I need air, like I need water, like I need food. If you don't know him, all I can say is you're out in the wilderness alone and it's rough out there. And I don't care if you're an ex-Navy SEAL or you're a survivalist or you're, I've heard the term, Mack County Macho. <laughs> you're not going to make it. You're not. You need Jesus. It is only through him that you can experience the longing that you're seeking through the pleasures, through the career, through the things. It is only through him that there is hope and there is peace that even though life is going to take terrible turns through the dark valleys, he'll still be there guiding you and leading you. And you have that hope and that security and that peace. Is in the end, 
God wins. And those who have trusted their lives with him get to be on his team in the end, in the winner's circle. So let me, let me offer that prayer as a guide if you don't know him. Just as a, make it your words. There's no magic formula to this. It's about trusting him, believing him, surrendering to him. I would encourage one more thing. Let me know. Or somebody else here. We want to celebrate with you. And we want to walk arm in arm with you. Because sheep on their own don't make it. The sheep together with the Lord as their Savior, they do. So Lord Jesus, this morning, you have told us through your word that you are a good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And as David sang and prayed and lamented in Psalms 23 through the inspiration of your spirit, you are that shepherd. You can be that shepherd for us. So Lord, I, I admit that I'm done trying to be my own shepherd. I need you to be my good shepherd, Lord. Would you forgive me for the times that I have tried to do this on my own? Lord, would you lead me? Lord, you lead us out of love. Not out of duty. So open my heart, open my eyes to you, God. Be the Lord of my life. And it's only through you, through your death on the cross as payment for my sin, that I can be saved. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you. So this morning, as we are concluding our time, if the guys would want to come on up for communion here, if you are somebody here who's wandered from the shepherd, but you know him, Tell somebody about that too. If it's me or if it's one of the guys up front or somebody that greeted you at the door. Listen, we're all sinners here. There is nothing that you have done that's going to be a shock or surprise to God, first and foremost. And it's not going to be a shock or surprise to us. Chances are, We've done it. And we know his grace covers all of that. So please, please, this is not a lonely life like it was for the shepherds in old times. This is a life that we can choose to be in together, encourage each other, love each other, support each other. So communion, if, if you're new to this concept, communion is a chance that we get to celebrate God's work on the cross for us. 
that he willingly came, he willingly died as the ultimate and final sacrifice and payment for our sins. You see, sin separates us from God. There's got to be a payment for that. When somebody wrongs us, we want payment for that. He wired that into our DNA because that's part of his nature. Well, he paid for it on the cross. And the elements that we take, the, the bread, the wine in the Old Testament today is juice and crackers, are representative of his body and his blood. We're not cannibals. It's just something that he asked us to do to remember him by, to stop, pause, and reflect on what he did. And so for those who call him their good shepherd, their chief shepherd, this is our opportunity to praise him through this and thank him. And so, um, come to him empty and broken. Because when we're weak, that's when he is strong.